0: I remember thinking that it was really nice, but it was nothing compared to how it looked at night.
1: You're listening to Take Off to Travel, a weekly dive into the travels of your hosts, Colin and Olivia. We're going on a world trip for 13 months with just $25,000 each.
0: Each week, you'll hear our tales, tips, and tricks as we
1: explore the world. Hello, and welcome to the seventh episode of Take Off to Travel. This week, we are in... Vietnam. We're in Ho Chi Minh City. Very excited to tell you about our first impressions and we've actually already taken a little trip out to Hoi An.
0: Yeah full disclaimer we actually have been here for about two weeks but things have been so busy and crazy that we just haven't had time to sit down and record an episode. Also you might hear in my voice that I'm just a little bit sick so sorry if that annoys you but here we are recording for you anyway. So I think we should probably start from the beginning. On December 31st, we boarded our flight out of Thailand, and it was about two hours to get to Ho Chi Minh City. So what was your very first impression, Colin, when you first got off the flight?
1: Uh, my first impression, you know, five degrees difference and a little bit more humidity. I thought we'd kind of gotten used to the humidity in Thailand, but it's just on a whole nother level here. It is hot. I am sweating right now as we sit on a bed and talk. It is hot and it is sticky. So that was what I first felt when I got off the plane. And then we exit out of this airport and I, you kind of feel like a celebrity. You walk down these railed walkways and there's people on the rails holding signs, uh, trying to get people's attention. Hey, take a taxi with me. Hey, um, are you this person? And you kind of feel like you're walking down a red carpet with paparazzi. Uh, And then you just see the mass of people and you see the mass of cars and you don't really get a idea of how big the city is immediately, but we, it's a, it's a big city.
0: Yeah. I was struck as we were flying in by just the sheer sprawl of the city and I know that not all of it is Ho Chi Minh and to be honest I don't know exactly where that line is about where it becomes something else but as you're flying in it goes from being like a normal sized city to all of a sudden it's just skyscraper after skyscraper after skyscraper and just literally as far as you can possibly see And as we were flying in, it reminded me a lot of New York City because I remember having that same experience where I looked out the plane window and was like, oh my God, that goes on forever. And I vividly remember looking at the window being like, whoa, what did we just get ourselves into? So once we left the airport, after waiting in the longest line to get through immigration, we went to our Airbnb. And when we got there, it was super easy to check in. And we went up to the top floor, and I remember thinking, this is small. Like, I thought that the Airbnb in Thailand was small, and we were wrong because the one in Vietnam was even smaller. It was the living room and the bedroom were conjoined, obviously, because it's a studio. And then the kitchen was, like, this narrow, skinny, outdoor area that had, like, one burner and then, like, a little mini fridge chucked underneath. But it was all super compact. And I don't, I don't know. I was blown away by how much stuff they fit in such a small space.
1: Something unique about this place, and it, it might not be unique to Vietnam, but it was unique to us, uh, was the kitchen outside, on the balcony, of the place. So there was a lot of like temporary storage for plates and bowls and um, other things like that. And then there was just this plug-in burner on the table and then different utensils and stuff but there's not a lot of room outside that's also where the clothesline was and it was it was just small
0: yeah we were also surprised in the bathroom and again i don't necessarily think this is unique to vietnam but it was something that we were surprised by the shower was basically in the middle of the bathroom with no container around it, I guess is the best way to describe it. So there's just a loose shower head attached to the wall across from the the toilet and the sink. And when we first got there, we were very nervous about how that was gonna work. We were like, oh my God, everything's gonna get totally wet. Like, where does the drain go, blah, blah, blah. And after we took our first shower, we were surprised to find that it actually was kind of convenient. It almost made the whole bathroom into the shower because there was, no wall and so in in essence we got a huge shower instead of a tiny one. So what did we do on New Year's Eve to celebrate?
1: So New Year's Eve we get to the place, we unpack and relatively quickly meet up with one of your childhood elementary school friends who has moved out to Vietnam and has been here for roughly 14 months. So we met up with her and her husband and we went and got some noodles and then we kind of walked around the city, they were kind of showing us around a little bit, and we stumble across the Times Square equivalent New Year's Eve celebration for this region of Vietnam. We were 400 meters away, 500 meters away from, four or five football lengths away from the stage. It was still shoulder to shoulder filled with people, all they're celebrating. There were street vendors trying to get us to buy their knickknacks. Uh, There were fire breathers. Um, Olivia, do you want to explain what that means out here?
0: Yeah, it's actually something that's quite sad because when we got there, we saw all kinds, like you said, all kinds of vendors just like selling their stuff and there were musicians and just kind of normal street entertainment. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw fire and I was like, oh, cool, a fire breather. And then we walk over and we discover that the fire breather is like maybe an eight-year-old kid Who looks miserable. Like he's breathing fire and then he like immediately had to spit and take this big gulp of water and he looked so unhappy and then he would immediately go back to breathing fire and there was a huge audience just watching this little kid do fire breathing and it actually kind of broke my heart because obviously that's not good for his body. It's not something he wanted to do and he was just doing it to earn money and it really made me sad. And then we also saw there were some disabled people that were, for lack of a better description, displaying themselves and just asking for money. There was a man who had like lost both of his legs that was just laying on a stretcher and just had a tip jar next to him. And it just, it it also broke my heart because of course, like I wish that I could help them but there were so many of them that there's just no way that you can actually make a difference. And it just was really heartbreaking to be there for that.
1: So lots of people, lots of new things that we saw, good or bad. So we we stay there for about 30 minutes. It's a concert. Lots of people singing, dancing around, having fun. And then we uh, keep exploring the city. Uh, We go, we got some ice cream that night. And it was very good, which uh, I think it was a good way to spend New Year's Eve.
0: Yeah, I was blown away as we walked around by the sheer number of motorbikes. That was the first taste that we got of it. And again, I think we talked about inner Thailand episodes, oh my gosh, there's so many motorbikes and they're so noisy. And I'm sure we thought that at the time, but now looking back, we had no idea of the scale that we were about to encounter. For example, sometimes at a stoplight, you will see only motorbikes, basically like lined up shoulder to shoulder, at least like nine or 10 across the street in a maybe... I don't know, at least 10 rows. And it's just like this massive sea of people riding on motorbikes. And it's it's kind of like it was in Thailand where it's not just one person on the bike. It's like families. It's groups of three. It's groups of two. There's babies. There's adults. There's like, like everybody is just riding motorbikes here. And there's so, so many of them. What did you think of the chaos that first night?
1: Crossing the street for the first time was scary. Uh, I'm glad that we had someone... there with us who had been here for 14 months who kind of felt comfortable doing it it took i would say two to three days of us being here in thailand for me to feel comfortable you know just stepping out into traffic which is something you would never do in the united states because you will get hit but yeah they just all as long as you are predictable and walk about the same speed they just kind of move around you and it's something that Olivia is still scared of. She she holds on to me very tightly as we cross. Uh, but it is really cool to see and watch them react to you as you're crossing the street. Watch Because they're having to make decisions. Which way do I go around these people? Do I slow down? And it's very cool to see that in real time.
0: How would you describe the difference between crossing the street in Thailand and crossing the street in Vietnam? Um,
1: in Thailand, you could kind of wait for the street to slow down a little bit. The street doesn't really slow down here in the area of Ho Chi Minh that we are. There are cars all the time. There's I don't want to call it traffic because there are it's always moving, but it's just very constant.
0: Definitely. And roundabouts are like the craziest thing you will ever witness because it almost feels like there's no traffic laws. But I'm sure there are, but it just looks like people are going every way the way that they want to, on the sidewalks, the wrong way down the street. Like, just they are just driving the way that they feel in that moment.
1: So, something I have seen, and that's going to be the exact opposite as America speaking about roundabouts, is in America, you yield to the people in the roundabout. In Vietnam, at least here, people yield to the cars entering the roundabout so you'll you'll constantly see cars going around stop letting cars enter more cars enter the roundabout and it just creates more and more congestion in the roundabout and slows it down but also everyone gets to where they need to go so it's very different from what we've seen what we've experienced but it's still it still works somehow
0: Something else that I was surprised by, not really related to traffic, but just something that I thought was interesting, was that apparently karaoke is huge here. Like not just in like a, oh, ha we'll go to the, car- the occasional karaoke bar and like sing with our friends. No, people like buy karaoke sets. And then they bring them home and then they practice or they do it with their friends. They don't care if they do it by themselves or with a big group. Like it is all over the place. Like anytime you walk down the street, there's bound to be at least one karaoke place and people just love it.
1: Yeah, we are our neighbor at um, the Airbnb, the original Airbnb. And I say that and we will talk about that later. But the our neighbor at the original Airbnb, like the door right next to us. there were multiple times we just walked by and he would just be sitting on his sofa in his living room by himself just singing karaoke and just like having a great time
0: yeah actually speaking of our neighbor i also have a little observation um and i don't know if this is widespread but at least in the area where we were staying privacy is not as big of a deal well people will just sit in their living rooms which are open like there's basically a the equivalent of a garage door that just faces into the street and they will just leave that door open and be sitting in their living room in their underwear, just kind of hanging out, like watching people go by and chilling out. And that was something that blew my mind because can you imagine doing that at home? Like, can you imagine just like having your door open to anybody who walked by just to look at you? The like, people would throw fits. That would not be a thing. So after we had been in Ho Chi Minh for a couple days we were talking about where else we wanted to go and there were a couple of places in Vietnam that really came to mind and we were originally planning to go like later in the month but then we realized that because Tet was coming up prices were going to go sky high and there was a much higher chance that things would be sold out and so we decided to take our little mini trip much earlier actually I think it was like three or four days after we arrived in Ho Chi Minh but we decided to go to a city called Hoi An. And Colin, why don't you go ahead and describe what your what what I told you about Hoi An and what you imagined when we got there and just anything kind of in that.
1: Yeah, so Hoi An is a city right outside of Da Nang, which is like the ma- major city in that area. It's got over a million people. Um, but Hoi An was untouched by the war. Um, it is a... UNESCO World Heritage Site. I have never been to a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and Olivia was telling me about it, and I was expecting like traditional ways of living, traditional like a not modern city, uh, modern parts of the city, but the the old town being very, still very traditional and kind of not stuck in their ways, but choosing to choosing a certain way to live, and it wasn't like that at all. It was old buildings, but new businesses. So it there were tailors, bright lights, everything saying, hey, come look at me. And it just, it wasn't what I expected.
0: Yeah, it was a little bit different than I was imagining because when I looked it up, it said it was a perfectly preserved fishing village, which I guess technically the buildings were. They probably were from... I don't actually even know probably 1700s if not earlier but I thought it was really cool so the first day we got there we, could, we arrived pretty late and so we just kind of wandered in and explored a bit but then the second day we got to go see it during the daylight and it was actually very beautiful all of the buildings were this like gold yellow color you could tell that they had been there for a really long time there was a river that went down through the middle of everything there was a big bridge that went across and I remember thinking that it was really nice but it was nothing compared to how it looked at night which for me was super magical so on the I guess it was the second night we were there there was a once a month lantern festival going on where people would put these paper floating lanterns into the river and make a wish it honestly felt like something out of Tangled the movie for me And there were also people in boats that had, like, Vietnamese lanterns attached that you could take. It was super beautiful. It was just so twinkly and lovely, and I really had a good time that night.
1: Yeah, uh, we, at the hostel, every other night, um, they have a family dinner. So they, you pay a small price. I think it was $3 a person. And you have a feast, for lack of a better words. There were so many different types of foods, and um, so through that, we were able to meet a lot of the people in our hostel and create kind of like a a social group while we were there. It was very nice, um, but we were able to go out to the Lantern Festival with these people and experiencing it with a group of people I really enjoyed. Not saying that I wouldn't have enjoyed it if it was just me and Olivia, but coming from Thailand when we had we had a group of people, and then coming to Vietnam, where you, we know we know one couple, but we don't know anyone else. Uh, it was nice having that little bit of social group for the for the three nights we were there.
0: What did you think about staying in the dorm style room instead of a private room?
1: see uh, so this was my first time staying in a dorm style room in a in a hostel. It was fine. I, I didn't really have any complaints other than we had one night. There was this guy who uh, I could have sworn was sawing logs. Just like so loud snore uh, up to the point where I thought about waking him up. There were four of us in there. And the next morning, all th- three of the people who were not th- this man who was snoring individually made comments about how loud his snoring was so you know it's it reminded me a lot of college living in a dorm with a with one person um not the snoring but just not exactly having privacy but having privacy at the same time so it it really wasn't that bad
0: I agree. That was one of my favorite hostel experiences ever. I really did enjoy their family dinner, and they had all kinds of activities. There was free breakfast. That was like a full-scale breakfast, not just like a grab-a-piece-of-toast-and-go kind of deal. I really liked it.
1: like they made omelets and pancakes and... Mm-hmm.
0: And it was free, which was amazing. I've never had that at a hostel before. <laughs> so, the next thing that we did was take a lantern-making class, which was an experience because i thought that it would be pretty easy because not that i'm like super crafty but i can like put some glue on some wood and use scissors but uh
1: i I just want to point out to your mom if she's listening (laughs) that you just said you were crafty and we went on an hour and 30 minutes to our arts and crafts event
0: hi mom but it was really hard. The lantern making class was so hard. It, was, it wasn't that hard. It was hard for me, okay? Basically, the way that it worked was we started with a skeleton of the inside of a lantern. And even just tying the string around the wooden base of the lantern was really hard for me like the lady that was doing the class had to stop and help me a number of times because I couldn't remember which way the string was supposed to go then we had to put the glue on the wood and then put like the fabric on top of it and there was a particular way that you were supposed to do it that was like pulling out from the side not pulling down and I thought I was doing it right and every time I would do it she'd come over take it all off and then completely redo it for me and so Colin definitely showed me up that day he uh his lantern looked great, and she kept going over and going, "Wow, good job!" And she'd like come back to mine and be like, mm, "And like take it off and put it back on." What did you think of the lantern making class?
1: I we just continue to find out that I'm better than you at everything that we do, Rude. <laughs> whether it's cooking or making lanterns. Directions.
0: Did you enjoy the lantern making
1: class? I did. Uh, it was fun. Like I said, it was about hour and a half two hours worth of arts and crafts it was a good break in our day from walking around we got free tea and banana chips which were good um yeah and it was just interesting to learn how those things are made
0: yeah then the next day we went to a cooking class which was honestly kind of a last minute thing because we had another day and we really didn't know what to do but everyone had been talking about this one particular cooking class and i'm really glad that we went it was pretty close by our hostel and we made a ton of food. I'm trying to remember what it all is. I know it was spring rolls, the sea bass mixture thing, um, papaya salad chicken. with chicken, yeah, and some bong which is like a Vietnamese pancake. What was your favorite thing that we made?
1: Uh this, the Vietnamese sea bass was so good. Um, I forgot how much I enjoy seafood. Like, there's seafood here, but I'm kind of scared to try, like, just a full fried fish with its head still attached and stuff. But it was nice just having, like, a a nice baked fish. It was it was good.
0: And then how would you say that making the Banzhao went? And maybe you could describe for our audience what it looked like?
1: So... We, it's a pancake. It's a, it's not a pancake how Almost we. Almost like a crepe. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very much more a crepe than it is a pancake, but you throw the mixture in, it cooks up, uh, you let it brown and then you flip it very much like a pancake. And then we had the opportunity to, they, they said flambe it. It, what we were doing was starting a grease fire in our pan <laughs> throwing water and, and, and grease, water and oil into the pan, and letting the fire go, and finishing off the cooking of the the bonzao.
0: The flames that he's describing were probably three feet tall. Would you say? Yeah, they. At
1: least. Yeah, they. The it was fun. It was it was the photo op part of the of the cooking class. They they did us. They went two at a time, and you know everyone was videotaping their friends and family during the fire. We were instructed to flip the the vongole because it's more like an omelet at this point. It's folded over. Um, and you want to make sure you hit both sides. So there's fire, 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 flip, and then a little bit more fire. And Olivia's up first between the two of us. She, she went pretty much towards the end, and I was the very last person. She goes to flip her her bonzao, and she doesn't really flip things in a pan much.
0: No, I always use a spatula. I don't just, like, flip the pan.
1: Uh, so she goes to flip, and... She doesn't catch it. It hits the side of the burner and then falls onto the table that that we're cooking on, and, and you know everyone sees it and and laughs. Yeah, everyone and, laughed at me. And I got it on video. It is on our Instagram. <laughs> if if you if you go look at it,
0: of course. You know, Colin did it perfectly on his first try because he's good at everything, and he also likes to practice showing off that particular skill every time he cooks.
1: I enjoy cooking i enjoy cooking i like flipping stuff up making a showing off a little bit it's it's always fun getting to do that in the class when i've been practicing for so long you know i looked like a pro
0: whatever (laughs) so once we got back from hoi an we took ourselves on like a little walking tour and one of the first stops that we took was to the Reunification Palace, which is super famous here in Ho Chi Minh. And the palace itself was really cool. But then, it's, as uh,
1: so, the palace—it's I wouldn't call it a palace; it's more, it was a it was a government building. Yeah, I um, mean, it's a
0: fancy, fancy government building. Yeah,
1: now. and it is where the Republic of Vietnam, um, South Vietnam government, was headquarters during the war.
0: Anyway, we toured the building and on our way out to our next stop we encountered something that at the time we did not know was a common scam but we have since discovered is all over the place where you are walking down the sidewalk outside of the building which has like a big fence outside and there are these men who are carrying coconuts but it's like a like a wooden bar over the shoulder with two baskets hanging off of either end of the bar and as we walked the man looks at us and like smiles and he was making polite conversation for a minute and then he looks at us and looks at colin and does like a muscle flex and like points at the coconuts to show like oh they're so heavy haha and we're laughing because we think he's just being nice and then he looks at colin's like you want to try and so he picks up the the coconut bar and hands it over to Colin, puts it down on his shoulder to like test Colin's strength. And we're like, oh, ha how cute. And so we walk along for a little bit. And then eventually the man's like, okay, I'm ready to take it back. And so he takes it back and puts it back on his shoulder. And then immediately he kneels down, grabs a coconut, and like with lightning speed, slices off the top of the coconut and like hands it to us as if like we got to buy this Try to hand now. it to us. Yeah, like try to buy this. And we're like. No, we don't want a coconut. We didn't ask for a coconut. And he's like, no, he's like holding it and like insisting, buy this coconut. I opened it for you. And I got to give Colin kudos because he did not waver. He was like, no, I don't want it. No. And I would have felt so guilty. It's like, oh my God, you opened the coconut, which I know is what they're going for. But he was just like, no, I don't want it. And then we like walked away and we kind of laughed to ourselves like, oh my God, what a crazy thing. And then the next day we were over in that same area and a different guy who had the same coconut bar thing does the exact same thing. Only this time we were smarter. And when he like went to like try to hand call in the bar, we were like, no, and just walked away.
1: Uh, we were joking, and I feel like I should just take the bar from the person, because they're giving it to me, and just, just walk away from them. Just turn around and just walk the other way. Just to see how they react.
0: I'm sure someone's done it, and I'm sure they're, they would be surprised, but I don't know. It's... That was a scam that I was not expecting to see. There's also a bunch of people who will come around and try to quote unquote, shine your shoes. But we've also not ever gone for that because they'll like poke at your shoe. And like, I have a tiny hole in the top of my sneaker and he's like, oh, I need to fix this. And I'm like, no, you don't, bye. And they'll like follow you. And then there's also um, like different scooter drivers who want to give you a ride. And so everywhere you go, they're like, where are you going, where are you going? I'll give you a ride. And I actually had one, when I actually had already called a ride, tell me to cancel my ride so that I could ride with him instead.
1: I was talking to a scooter driver. You know, he came up, just started making polite conversation. So it's either 50-50. When they start making polite conversation with you, they either are interested in what you're saying or they're trying to get you to buy something. This man pulled out a notebook with pictures of previous writers and testimonials that they have written for him because he has driven them around for the day. He was so committed to trying to get me to buy or pay him to to drive me around. Um, so much so that I think he has one for every state. He has a picture and claims this person is from, oh, Arizona. He asked where we were from. I said, Arizona. And he pulls out the picture from the person from Arizona. And it's like, look, look, you can ride with me like this person did. So they're very committed.
0: Yes, definitely. So what was, uh, something that surprised you about what the Vietnamese eat for breakfast?
1: Um, so in America... And that is how it's pronounced. And anyone who says pho is just wrong. Shout out to Melissa. I just want to make that distinction. But they eat pho in the morning because it takes so long to cook. Uh, you have to be standing over heat and stuff for, for so long that it doesn't make sense to do it during the day because it is so hot and humid here. They They cook it overnight and then eat it in the morning for breakfast. That is really interesting. We have enjoyed eating it for breakfast. It is definitely different than in America where, you know, you would go there for lunch or dinner. Um, It is not a specifically breakfast thing because you can eat it any time of the day. But it is something they choose to eat in the morning.
0: Another food thing that surprised me was that most spring rolls here are fried. Like, I don't know where we got the idea that Vietnam is known for its fresh spring rolls, but they're really difficult to find anywhere because when we were in Thailand, that was something that we found as well. And I just assumed that that was a Thailand thing. And then we came to Vietnam and every time goi Quan is on the menu for the most part, it means fried, but it's just really difficult. I really thought that it would be like 80% fresh spring rolls and then maybe 20% fried, but that is just not the case. It is so much more difficult to find fresh ones. So thanks so much for listening to our episode today. We hope you enjoyed it. We're sorry it's been a bit of a break since we last talked about Vietnam, but hopefully we will have more content for you soon. Thanks so much for listening. Catch you next time.